Ready? One, two, three. Welcome to the Mountain Cosmos. My name is Rochelle Gilmore, and in this episode, I am sharing a chat I have with Jessica Baker back in March. She's a fellow ski instructor in Jackson Hole and so much more. I wear a lot of hats, but I'm a professional skier, a professional mountain guide, a mother, and I own a business called Ski Divas, which is um, women's ski camps that are run all over the world. We cover a lot of different topics in relation to her ski career and life in the mountains, education in skiing, Doug and Emily Coombs' influence on how she started Ski Divas, just to name a few things. Throughout this episode, we use a couple of ski lingo acronyms, so I thought I would give you a quick rundown. PSIA are the Professional Ski Instructors of America. USSA is basically race coaching, but stands for United States Ski and Snowboard Association. DECL is Division Education Curriculum Leader, AMGA, the American Mountain Guides Association. I really hope you enjoy this chat just as much as I did. What is it that you love about mountains the most? The mountains really bring peace in my life. They are like a place to reset, to slow down my life and my world and like bring things back into focus. It's like my reset button really going into the mountains, which is what I've made my life around a lot of reset. It's just, there's, you know, the mountains are indifferent. Nature is this wonderful thing. And when you go, you end up um, being part of that and sort of remembering what's important. You are like always doing stuff. Like even when you're like not working, hiking, snoking. It's true. Do you do that just because of fitness or you just want to be outside? Both. Like sometimes I'm completely motivated by just the fresh air and the exercise and the feeling good and all of that and just being out in in the outdoors. And then sometimes I'm completely motivated by like the next project that I have. And I'm like, I have to hike 9,000 vertical feet in a day. So I need to stay in shape. (laughs) So I will, you know, like lap the king multiple times in an evening or squeeze in a few laps when I can, you know, between kid care and whatever. And, um, it's, so it serves both. I think I'm motivated by both and it depends on what's coming up in my life that, that really keeps me going. Why did you move to Jackson? Uh, It's funny because when I first went to Jackson, I was ski racing and I was 13 years old or 14, I think. And, uh, I was racing in um, a downhill race and it was negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit, bitterly cold, like just, just, just so brutal to be outside and that was not the reason I moved to Jackson that in my head was like why I didn't ever want to go back to Jackson and then in college I had the opportunity to come back to Jackson in the summertime I was I got a degree in geology I decided to do a geologic road trip and I traveled from North Idaho where I grew up down through Jackson down through the southwest and back up and so I got to see like a lot of the Rockies and sort of a lot of geologic features and when I stopped back at Jackson during that trip I was like, whoa, 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 why did I have such a bad feeling about this place? This place is amazing. And I did some rock climbing and hiking and saw the national park in the summer. And I started looking at all the ski lines, even in the summer, noticing where snow would be and what it would be like to be here in the winter. And I'm like, this is where I should move. Like, this is where I want to go. So I think that was my junior year in college. So I sort of like started making the necessary steps to try and move here. 
Yeah. So did you move here straight out of college like most other Totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally one of those, that statistic. It's funny. So I went to school back east, which is, that was like really my first foray back east in the U.S. Um, growing up in the West. This area was not foreign to me. I just had had that like cold experience and didn't want to come here. And uh, so when I went to school back east and then came to Jackson, everyone's like, oh, you're just another East Coaster coming to Jackson. I'm like, actually, I'm not even. It's just a funny kind of roundabout story. But I did end up here after college. And partly that came about because I actually used my geology degree. I ended up getting hired on as a hydrologist for the Forest Service. And so I actually (laughs) used my degree, amazingly enough. And I also skied. So I got hired on by the Jackson Hole ski school and ended up kind of doing some ski racing coaching. And so the combination of the two like sealed the deal. Yeah. Did you start instructing here or back East? Prior to back East even in, so in the late, late years of my racing, just for fun and sort of to get, get a little taste of it, I got my PSI level one and I think I utilized it three or four times helping out randomly to help out with like a Christmas rush at Schweitzer Mountain where I grew up. And But it gave me kind of a taste of that. And then when I went to Bates, I ski raced for them for two years and then like the academia and the racing too much. So in my third year, I decided to coach for Gould Sunday River Academy. So I actually ended up getting my USSA certification, more of it than the PSA certification, a little quicker. And so I was coaching ski racers. And then at the end of two years of coaching, I was at the time of J3 was the age group, which is U14 now, I believe. I think so. Then I kind of came out of that and I was a little bit motivated to kind of stay in that world a little bit. I enjoyed it a lot. And so I combined that with geology to come here. So you're doing geology stuff in the summer and then skiing in the winter. The tenure, but a seasonal position that that goes from April through November for the Forest Service, which is great. It's like a little over half the year and then the remainder of the time skiing. And then what point did you start being like, oh, I want to do all my sets, but instructing? Totally. So I think um, within the first year being at Jackson, I took my PSA level two. I think I also got my next level in USSA coaching because I was still kind of dabbling in both. And the third year I was in Jackson, I got my level three. And then my fourth year, I got my DECL. So I just kind of kept ticking away at it. it. It was like a natural progression. It was, you know, I had to put work into it. It was not like it was easy, but I also could tell that I had a knack for it and I should just kind of keep going with it while I had the motivation. Yeah. I can totally relate. Okay, one certification and they like <laughs> hands you a piece of paper and they're like, well, pre-course for the next one like next week so, so true. get on it yeah <laughs> and I really enjoy the professional development of it I loved especially during that like four-year period where I was really ticking away at everything I loved all the training I got in all the professionals I got to work with you know bouncing ideas off of people really like good self-introspection like that stuff was really feeds me in general and so that also helped motivate me to keep going I can totally relate. I'm on my way to getting my level four back home and you're on the road and you're engaging in all this stuff and you're sitting there with your textbook and like discussing how turns should be and all of that. And then sometimes you just go out and you ski and you just forget about it. And then you're out in the wilderness. It's just like, how cool is this? So you went through all your instructing stuff yeah. and your USSA coaching sets, yeah, yeah. then started doing the mountain guiding stuff. Actually, before, after I got my level two cert, I also had a whole another faction of the ski world coming at me with, with the idea to go start big mountain free skiing competitions. 
uh, AJ Cargill actually was, came to me and she said, you know, you should really try one of these competitions. You totally have what it takes. You've got the speed from ski racing. You're fearless in your lines. Like, you should come do this. I was like, okay, I'll try one. What's the next one? So where was it? It was at Kirkwood, California. And it had just happened to be the North American championships for the season. And I had to qualify. So I went to it and the qualifier was the first two days and I won the qualifier and I was like, oh, cool. This is kind of fun. And then I entered into the main competition, which was the North American championship and I won. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And then I had sponsors coming at me right away and I was, whoa, this, I didn't realize this was out. So that, that was at the end of my second year in Jackson. And so my third year in Jackson, along with like pursuing my PSA certification, I also started really pursuing the free skiing circuit. Competed for eight years on the circuit, world tour, whole deal. I also got all my certification during that time, which was kind of cool, including my trainer, DCL, living a dual life, but they fed each other. Like the accuracy I would get from, you know, the cert process would really play well into like these super technical, high speed Gary lines. And I was like feeling very dialed in. I feel like a lot of the time here in Jackson, people are like ESIA, instructor certs, no way. Oh, yeah. I'm never doing that. And I'm like, it makes you a better skier. There, there is such, there's such a, a bad rap for ski instructors and probably rightfully earned by certain standards and things that occur. Not all ski instructors represent the uh, sport well, but most do. And I think that abilities are underestimated and perhaps most ski instructors underestimate their abilities because actually you could take that like really strong foundational technical base, really big objectives. So that part is is maybe underplayed so you just someone was just like maybe you should go in this competition and that's how it happened pretty much <laughs> they were like the, they said you should do this and I said oh well how's it work and they said well the next one's in Kirkwood and I was like how far away is that and they're like it's three weeks away if you call right now you might be able to get into the qualifier and sure enough I did and yeah then it was like didn't turn back after that because it was so fun and the community of people doing those competitions were incredible and amazing skiers so you know you'd go to these competitions two three days ahead of time to get used to the conditions and start looking at the venue and then you just rip around with these amazing skiers and you're like oh my gosh like another like amazing professional development piece you know yeah so the way i was able to push my skiing and and build confidence in big big terrain was really cool my ski career expanded greatly during that time when you came out here that would have been really close to when the gates opened it was it was the same year that the gates opened as when i first came here so it was also like the golden age you know i remember a bunch of i befriended a lot of locals very fast and they were like, you're so lucky. You totally picked the right year. I'm like, it wasn't on purpose. It just happened to be the right year for me to come. Like, it's not like I lined it up to do this. They're like, you have no idea what it was like before. We had to be so sneaky. And then sometimes you get caught. And and so <laughs> everyone was like, this is the best. It was really good, though. I, I remember, you know, my first time exploring some of the out stuff. I was like, oh, my gosh, this place is amazing. What's the first thing you skied out of bounds? I actually... For my very first run out of bounds was in Granite Canyon, which is funny because now as like an avalanche educator, I would never have done that first, but that's what I did. And uh, it was amazing. It was like absolutely incredible. It was like a line in the Air Force shoots that was just amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I had already gotten some of my Abbey cert when I did drop in through the gates, but, but I still remember it. It was pretty incredible. <laughs> 
Every time I go out there, my mind is just blown. Oh, yeah. It's epic. There's a lot of good terrain, especially granite, because it's so hidden. You can't just, like, look at it and be like, oh, I want to ski over there. You, like, really have to start, like, memorizing each line and each entrance point. And that alone requires, like, enough skill that it kind of eliminates, a, a, well, not everybody. But it does tend to eliminate people that are unsure of where they're headed. And then, you know, if you have the, the guts to kind of keep exploring during, like, safe safe abbey hazards and you can really get to know i definitely need to get out there more in the next couple of weeks it's a good time now I'm yeah, not, i mean i don't know what type of snow we'll get here in the next few days but you know if the abbey hazard stays low it's a good time good time to explore and kind of dial in like entrance points and decide what you do and don't want to do during you know avalanche cycles yeah. like i could get away with this but not this you know like this could kill me yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's some yeah, it's really crazy things that happened out, out there. Oh, this this winter? Oh, my gosh. We'll change the subject. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, actually, so the last thing you asked me was, like, then the mountain guiding part. And I interjected yeah. with with the free skiing piece. So, towards the end of my free skiing career, as I – so, I did get quite injured in my free skiing comp- competitive career. Uh, six years into it, I was, ironically enough, back at Kirkwood for a world tour uh, event. And I crashed really hard. Like I launched this air and was straight lining out of it and kind of curving to make, get to my next feature going very fast. And um, just under the snow, cause there's a lot of new snow for the venue that day. Uh, just under the snow was a rock and I hit it. And not only did I just hit it, but I like got dead stop, like from like 60 miles an hour, zero miles an hour. And so that was six years into that that stint and I was like after I recovered from that which was a big big injury I was like okay exit strategy you know like I'm not done yet I feel like I have a few more years in me but I need to get away like when I hit my 30s I want to be out of this you know like I don't know if I'm into this anymore so I did compete for two more years after that injury and did very well and like had a nice successful including like winning some world tour events. But then I, I was like, okay, I'm good. I made it out alive. I'm not injured anymore and I'm done. <laughs> All right. So when did you start doing the Alaska? No, the Alaska thing. So that came into play the, the same year that I got my DECL, my examiner status for PSA. It was also the same year that I decided I wanted to try some mountain guiding stuff just to see like what's that about also and and kind of like explore bigger mountains in the world and a big mentor of my of mine at the time was Doug Coombs and he and I we had skied together in La Grave and done a bunch of stuff in Jackson together and he was just like becoming a ski buddy and mentor essentially and he had had he had already gotten a lot of his guide certification and he was like just someone that I looked up to greatly and a lot of people did, but, um, but I actually like, he be, started to become my mentor. So he was like, have you been to Alaska? And I had been to Alaska for some ski racing, but I hadn't been for like the big mountain skiing, you know? So I said, no. And he's like, you should really try. But he had already sold his heli skiing business, which is Valdez heli ski guides. He had already sold that to Scott Rayner. So not like I could go up there and work for him. I was like, huh? I was like, what's your best suggestion? He was like, you know, CO miners, 
it started, branched off from Valdez Hellies Guides and started his own company. He's like, you should go check with Theo. He may actually need somebody like you. And so I checked in with Theo and Theo was like, we don't hire women here. I was like, well, I'm going to come hang out anyway. And so I did and like kept being the thorn, you know, I was like, so can I come to the guide meetings? And just kept pressing. This is in 2004. And by the end of that season, he like actually kind of let me do some tail guiding and and definitely joined in with the the guide meetings. But there was still a lot of like trepidation about a woman working in that field. They were like, we really don't want you here. You're not capable, blah, whatever. So the next season I was injured. That was when I had the injury um, in the free skiing side of things. And I decided that because I wanted to move out of the free skiing eventually, I decided that like pursuing the guiding side of things was smart. And that was going to be my like initial in. And so I kept bothering Theo and finally he said, okay, well, we're going to do a tryout for my next group of guides that I want to hire. And five of us in this rigorous weekend of just like testing us to do this and that and pits and rescuing people. And I don't know, they just threw a million things at us. And at the end of it, he's like, I underestimated you. You totally scored the best out of this whole group. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't trust your, that you really could do this. And anyway, he hired me. So that's how the Alaska thing started. And so then I just worked into like lead guide position at the, at the place. And, you know, now I'm a senior guide there and I've worked there for a long time. And it's like probably one of the raddest, craziest jobs I do. Most definitely. So how come you're not there yet? Aha. Uh-huh. Good question. So it's actually killing me because I, the only other time I haven't been there was when I was, um, let's see how many months pregnant was I? Yeah, I was like, oh, no, I had just had a baby. I had a brand, I had a new, I had like, I was pregnant and then had a newborn during the start of the season. Is that when I met you? Clearly not going to do it. Did you see me skiing around really pregnant? <laughs> I was so pregnant. I was, re- it was obvious pregnant. I mean, I was like wearing like a men's extra, extra large yeah. jacket and I was just like huge. Yeah. So that's the year I did not go to Alaska. Yeah, I think you were my trainer. And nice. it was like my first week. Okay, yeah. Sorry, so yeah. that was when I was a little earlier in the pregnancy. And I was yeah. still kind of reasonable at that point. But later in that <laughs> season, I was like ridiculous. I mean, people were like, you're going to kill the baby. I'm like, I will not kill the baby. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so you missed Alaska that year. I missed Alaska that year. And so this year, I... I'm taking my AMGA ski exam. That's the, like the fourth part in a series of the ski side of the AMGA certification of all the certifications I've gone for. This is by far the most involved and the most committed. And this is the fourth piece in the process. And it's my final piece. So once I get this, it's like I'm done with my ski certification. I can guide skiing all over the world. Well, not all over the world, but a lot, a lot of places. And it's just like a good, another little, little tick that I can can cross off but it's it's involved enough that if I spend my spring heli skiing and then jump straight into this exam I may not be ready for it like I need to be hiking every this is the fitness part I need to be hiking big vertical every day or you know every week a lot of vertical I need to be practicing crevasse rescue and tour planning and all this stuff that in the heli skiing environment is I wouldn't be able to pull it off it'd just be too hectic because you get to get in the helicopter. Yeah, the top. <laughs> I just get in a helicopter. I point to the mountain I want to go to, and we're there. This is way different. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about being the first female guide up there? So to be like 
totally open and honest with it. I wasn't the very first on the pass on, on a Thompson pass, which is like where we operate out of in the Chugach. There was one other operation that had um, a female guide before me and that was Valdez Eliski guys. And that was uh, Kirsten Kramer and she's renowned and still guiding up there. She's amazing. So I wasn't the first to break through that barrier, but I was the first for our, the Alaska rendezvous. And that was a big barrier. And um, there still aren't that many women that are heli ski guiding up there. I mean, there's like, you know, I can count them on one hand if that. And so it was challenging, like a constant battle. And I can't say it's not that way at all still. Like there's still some of that happening. Yeah. Why do you think it, why do you think it is like that? Do you think we're changing it? Or do you think? Yeah. Like, sometimes I think we are changing as a society in the world and also America. Like, I think there's a lot of progression happening in, like, women's equality and even just, like, minorities in general. Like, I think there's a lot of work being done, but there's a lot of work to be done still. And I just think, you know, as one person changes, another does not. And then as one person has completely evolved, someone else is just beginning their process. So, like, you keep running into roadblocks as you go. So it... It's not like a consistent formula of progress, but I do think there is progress. Absolutely, the environment like for women in these fields has changed so much since I started. I mean, I had to fight to be where I am. And now I'm like, oh, I don't have to fight so much. I can actually like maybe focus a little bit more on my skills and supporting other people and being a mentor versus like, let me in, I want in, you know? <laughs> Why can't I ride the chairlift with you? I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Definitely. We probably covered a little bit of this, but do you have any like defining moments in your ski career? Yes, absolutely. I think... Moving to Jackson was a pretty defining moment. Actually, let's back it up. Starting when I was pretty young, there were, there were sort of two moments that really triggered some massive growth. So as a young kid, I started at five years old skiing, and my parents took me on a ski vacation to Big Sky, Montana. First time ever trying to ski five years old, I freaked out. I hated it. Like, the ski instructor had to call my parents and come pick me up because I wouldn't move. I was so scared. So I went from that to, like, at nine years old... I was racing and I was like starting to win some races. So I, I had these big shifts happen in my worldview and skiing during that time. And I remember sort of like going through the process as a young kid, like not only was I terrified, but now I'm on top of the world. And then when I moved to Jackson, there was a lot of growth that happened in my ski career, not only for like finding mentors like Doug Coombs and AJ Cargo and, and, and these people within the ski school, even like uh, Doug Perini and Lee Perini and, and Theo Miners, and, but also just the terrain here. First starting just with the resort and the side country, back country off resort, and then moving up into like Grand Teton National Park, like those places require skill expansion like you just start to like oh like look what I'm dealing with now like I have to figure this out and so those are pretty defining moments and I think there was some serious growth coming out of just the, sh the move to Jackson and then as all the connections and mentorship and opportunities started to play out you know it just like exponentially blossomed but moving to Jackson was like a big part of that definitely I felt like that like the moment I got here, my first season, I was like, wow, it just has like a really cool vibe. Got dropped off at my friend's place where I lived my first season. I think the first week there was no snow. And I was like, 
There's no snow. Yeah. <laughs> and like took a couple of days before we went to the mountain. Yeah. We're like sitting at the Hof. And then then my housemate at the time looks at talked about skiing and he's like, Do you realize where you are? And I'm like, I mean I love it already. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't realise. And he's like, Do you realise who you're skiing with a lot of the time? And I'm like, Nope, just skiing. Cool. That's been cool. Now that I've been here a couple of seasons, I'm like, oh, that person. I'm like, oh, Benny? Like, okay. I know, right? I mean, so many legends all around you. And then just so many quiet heroes. So you're you're like, oh my gosh, that person is such a badass and no one knows about them. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I'm like, some of my friends will be like, watch your mouth. You don't know who you're talking to. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. So when did the Exum guide start? Okay, so that was t- about two years after I started the heliski side of things. Part of it was triggered because I lost a lot of funding um, working for the Forest Service. So I went from having full crew of people with me and like a lot of support and money and everything kind of got cut. And it was like just me and it was a lot of work, very bureaucratic. And so right around that time... I also, Doug Coombs was actually still alive, and he was like, you should start working in the summer, like, guiding, or you should come check it out. And so I think I was invited. You have to sort of be invited into Exum. Like, a a current Exum guide has to say, I want this person to come try and be a guide, or let's bring this person into the fold. And so I had a couple people in Exum do that for me, which was great. And I was just invited to, like go to training, maybe do some auditing, like just check it all out. And as I did that, like certain guides that were very senior in the company were like, wow, she has such potential. Like we should, we should bring her in. They right away noted, they were like, look, you're an amazing skier. You have like world-class ski skills, but you're really going to have to build your personal climbing resume because I had done a lot of climbing, but I needed to do a lot more. So that first like year was a lot of, okay, go do this route, go do this route, go figure that out, go spend a couple nights on this ridge over here, you know, like go test yourself. And so I did. As I built that, then they took me more seriously and they were like, okay, yeah. And then they hired me on. So, and then I, but that was still a slow progression after that. Like it was like, they hired me on, but then I like barely worked. And then the next year I worked even more and it just kind of built. <laughs> so any other girls? Yes, but not many. Exum, at least, was better than the heli-skiing world. Um, there were, at the time, Angela Haas, Susan Detweiler. There just weren't too many of them. But there were like four or five women that were on staff when I first came in. And I think a couple more were hired kind of when I was trying to get hired. So there were a few. At least there were a few. It wasn't like I was the first one. Yeah. <laughs> just still, mountain guiding is not... If you look at the stats, like... So far, every single AMGA program I've taken, I've been the only woman on every single one of my courses, exams, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they're starting to try to address that, like offering more like female-friendly opportunities, but it's, you know, still, it's not uncommon to see, you know, one out of 12 people be the girl in the guiding world. So when did you start your company ski is it ski davis Davis, yeah i started that in also in 2006 so that was a big year as far as guiding and entrepreneurial action for my for my world and my life Um, so i was still competing but this is when i was like really churning what i want to do next you know so i was trying to build it so that when i stopped competing i wasn't just like now what you know so in 2006 it really started with doug coombs doug and emily coombs 
and I was in La Grave with them that year. This is also the same year that Doug died in La Grave. So I went and skied with them in La Grave for like three weeks. And one of the weeks was one of their steep skiing camps. And I just kind of like audited and palled around and helped because I was already starting to guide a little bit and kind of like tail guided and just like generally kind of be there to help and ski lines. And at the end of it, they were like, you should help us. Like you should create women's camps because there were no women on there, any of their camps either. I was like, when do you get women? They're like, we don't. Like, what? We should do women's camps. So we were going to partner on a women's camp the, the following year. But then that spring, like two weeks later, after I'd been with them, I got a call that Doug had died. He had fallen in La Grave and, and died. And uh, Emily Holmes was like, we still mean it. Like, you should keep going forward. You should do women's camp if you want to make it happen. And then, you know, I didn't hear from Emily for a while because she went into sorrowful mode. But she recognized that that was something that was important to keep moving forward with. And so she, before... You know, before things kind of fell apart in that side of things, she said, you know, keep moving forward. So that's when I created Ski Divas. I'm reading a book about Doug Coombs right now. Oh, nice. That was literally a chapter I was reading yesterday. Oh, wild. <laughs> about, like, the camps and the guy, like, that wrote the book went and did the camp in France. And, totally. Yeah, it's kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, those were incredible camps. I mean, Doug and Emily were such pioneers. Like, they did, they created the steep skiing camps at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. They created, I mean... They didn't. They weren't the first to do heli skiing on in the Chugach, but they were the first popular operation that really brought people to the Chugach. And you know, Lagrave steep camps. I mean, they like really pioneered a lot of those things, which is so cool. I know. Just like thinking about it, like that's just so like mainstream now. Like with or maybe I just think of it as mainstream because it's been all this time in Jackson. But in Jackson, you're just like, yep, oh, just a steep camp. And it's funny, like, when you see all the people that rock up and it's, like, probably put you in lessons first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's learn how to pull plan. <laughs> There's that part, yeah. But, yeah, I wonder, like, when people sign up for these things, whether they actually realize the history. I don't know. At this point, I'm not sure. I think it used to be more closely tied and some of the steep camps, you know, opened with an introduction even to the to the Coombses if they were around. And if they weren't, it was like, you know, Doug Coombs founded this, blah, blah, blah. But now, I'm sure that's being carried. I haven't coached any. Yeah. Very interesting. It is. There's some hidden history, no doubt about it. Well, that's been kind of my mission this season, is just learn a little bit more. It really enriches the experience, I, I think, yeah. Like, my first season, I was like, who, like, who is that? I don't know who that is. And then... You like hear the whispers, and I'm like, I'm just gonna read some stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I actually know what's going on. <laughs> totally, I know it's it's a there's definitely a hidden history, and people are humble, people are quiet, people are secretive, and it's hard to get the stories. The stories that you get from people that have been instructors like for so long. Oh, you got your pen for being a ski instructor for 50 years. What amazing! Right? Half a century. I know. It's really cool. So. You also teach a lot of the American Avalanche Institute stuff. Mm-hmm. When did that start? Did that That's did that just kind of go with it, or it does go with it? I didn't pursue that side of things until like three years ago because I was just too busy. I'm actually still way too busy to do it, but 
I am starting to feel like I'm in this point in my career where I want to give back. And I've been given so much information over time that I'm like, oh, I, it's really time to like give back some of this. So I've been giving back in the ski instruction world for a while. And now I'm like, okay, I'm at a level in my guiding and my career and my world travels that I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. Like I know a lot. And now it's time to share. That's why I decided I reached out to, to AAI. And I was trained by AAI in my uh, Abby Education, Newcombs, and the founders of the company before they sold it to Sarah and Don and Don. So when I was like, okay, I think I want to like help in that side of education, I reached back out to them because I was like, I want to stay in the AAI stream because that's what I, you know, was brought up in. It's a great company. So they were happy to take me on and also using it as another way to just keep developing professionally because it's not like I can just jump in and start teaching an Abbey course. You actually have to have like curriculum. It's like teaching, you know, you have to yeah. have your curriculum and all of your presentations and everything's very scheduled because you have a lot of information in a short period of time. And so it took me a little bit to get in that mode, but it's been really fun to share my stories and, and, and re-up my education too, just like keep really current. The courses are intense. <laughs> I just remember we were all like, oh, and we're not going out the gates for a very long time. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of information in a short, short period of time. And it is meant, especially initially, to give people pause because you're like, look, like you may have gone with ignorance before and you got away with it, but now it's now you're playing the game of odds when you do that. So now let's increase our odds here, like safety a little bit higher. Wow. It's, it's a great. lot to take. Yeah, I remember when we all got our like little cards. We're like, well, welcome to being the most in danger. <laughs> I know, it's the worst stat ever. It's sort of true. It's tough. Yeah, I think like furthering your education, the key is is like giving people we try to do this at the end of every course. It's like giving people a really good sense of what they've learned and what they own. Like, you know how to use your beacon now. That's for sure, right? Okay. But you don't know when to go and when not to go necessarily. And maybe you're going to have to back off some of that a little bit and make more cautious decisions until you start to build some of them. We try to just, like, go through the list of things that people really know and really still don't know what need work. It was cool because I did a season in Japan. Oh, cool before I did a season here and we were like we're out the gates a lot in Japan the company that I worked for I was supposed to be like a mountain guide yeah and like we we're supposed to be taking people out the gates and I just remember being like okay we've talked about a few things very basically over a few evenings and more just like don't let your people get hurt because you're probably gonna spend the night out there and then Japan you're just skiing powder like low angle powder the whole time yeah and then did do my course well my level one wow so I knew like a few things but I didn't know that much yeah <laughs> and it was just like okay so now there's more books to read there's more things to learn there's like the course next year and you know mm, so many like, layers so many literally <laughs> literally no fun intended but truly so many layers um is there anything that you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about? I think a big piece of my life that is underplayed because, like, in social media these days and whatnot, you don't really, like, put things out there that are necessarily the hardest or the saddest or the most frustrating or the craziest. And that would be being a mother, which adds this whole other layer to the system. And it's so hard. <laughs> it's, like, so, so hard. But yet I think so important I mean it'd be sad if 
no one in Mountain Towns had kids anymore because then we'd like lose that culture. So to me, like I am definitely bringing up like the next generation, but it's so challenging with this lifestyle. I've had to obviously adjust certain parts of my lifestyle very much so. And like the certain level of risk that I used to take on is now reduced because I have a much bigger responsibility than just to myself. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I downplay the intensity of it sometimes. I downplay like the responsibility of it because it's like too much to talk about. Like people are like, I don't even know how you do it. But uh, I think people people women can do it women in these careers can do it but you have to have like a really really supportive partner and you have to be ready to like work triple time I mean it's there's just so much to to the whole kid thing and it's it's a a big weight to carry but also like an amazing process I mean both my kids are now skiing Kaya has been skiing for since she was like one and a half and now Avery just started and she's almost two and Kaya's like skiing out the tram and reading books and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing. But man, it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't do it without my husband. Yeah. I I don't know how single moms do it. I don't. I mean, certainly there, there cannot be any single moms doing what I'm doing and still taking care of kids. There's no way. Definitely. She's cute. I always like you always know it's her with the little unicorn and totally it's so funny because she got that two years ago now in one of her ski groups and like she just hasn't taken it off she's like I'm gonna be a unicorn every day (laughs) how old is she six she's five five yeah (laughs) it's so funny so cute it is it really is um do you get to ski with your husband uh, see, that's the thing. That's, like, where some of the stuff gets sacrificed. So he and I do not get to ski together very often. Once a season, maybe, if we're lucky. Yeah, pretty sad. He came from a, more of a climbing background, and I came from more of a skiing background. And when we first started dating, it was really cool because we'd, like, climb together in the summer, and I'd really build my climbing skills. And he would come ski with me, and he'd really build his skiing skills. And then lots of adventures together. He and I skied and climbed all over the world together. But then we had kids, and it was just full stop. Okay, you're taking care of kids, and I'm going skiing. Okay, I'm taking care of the kids, and you're going climbing. You know, like, no more adventure together. So, like, literally, to go adventuring together now, we have to, like, get a babysitter, pay to go play together. You know, like, it's (laughs) kind of sad. That will change. I do know that. But right now... (laughs) We do a lot of adventuring with other people now and not him, which is sort of sad because he's awesome. Where's your favorite place to have visited? Like for skiing or in general? Maybe in general. Mm, That's so tricky. (laughs) That's an almost impossible question, I think. There's just so many amazing places. I've had some pretty big adventures up in the Arctic, and that place has really captured my heart lately. Like, it's pretty spectacular up there um Svalbard primarily but like kind of arctic waters up in the far far north the quiet solitude and the like sparse wildlife but like the most amazing creatures you know like polar bears and whales and walruses and empty mountains zero people zero roads no air traffic like there's something very special about that that that's um, high on my list right now but I do have to say, I really do like to travel. It's it's fun. There's just something about it. It keeps you inspired, I think. Not that the carbon footprint's that good, but you can offset it. You can do your best in other ways, but I, I'll admit, like, I'm a pretty big fan of getting on an airplane and flying across the world. 
Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I mean, a lot of us are. And yeah. I'm not going to deny it. Like, there's no way I'm going to say, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to give that up and stop polluting the earth and try to offset it as best I can. But there's something about travel that's just so incredible. Eye-opening. Yeah. I love seeing new places. Cool. We've covered a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any more questions. Okay. Cool. <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time. Of course. Since the recording of this interview, Jessica Baker has finished her AMGA certification ski guide process. So congratulations are in order. The book I mentioned was Tracking the Wild Kumba by Robert Cuso. And that is the end of episode two. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Benny Wilson. He is a local legend having grown up in Jackson Hole. He is one of the original Jackson Hole Air Force guys. And he has told me a total ski bum. I'm looking forward to sharing this chat with you all. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast. Bye for now.